A small child will wake up crying in the middle of the night because the child has a need, but the child doesn't have angst. A child as can be sitting in his, um, his little chair and, he start, and he's laughing one minute and he begins to cry the next because he has a need, but he doesn't have angst. That child, and a child, as he grows a little bit, uh, he will make a mistake and he will laugh at his mistake because he has no angst. A small child will never look at his bank account and be filled with angst. <laughs> angst, as I'm using the term today, and as we know that words can mean so many different things, but as I'm using it today, angst is, is anxiety, or anxiety or apprehension or insecurity or worry or torment. And as it was on my knees this morning, praying, God brought to mind um, this whole idea that, uh, of angst and that it's not something that a small child has, but it's something that we tend to develop as we move to independence. As we begin to understand life, as we begin to assert our own will, um, that's when angst and worry and apprehension begins to develop. But in a small child, you don't see that. And that's why, I, I, well, one of the reasons why, I believe that Jesus said, if you, if you want to be my follower, you have to become like a little child. Because God never intended for us to have angst and to carry it alone. And if you, so turn in your Bible, well, I, I think we're going to put it up here. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30 came to mind as, as I was praying this morning. Um, so this wasn't, in, this wasn't in my original outline, as so often things are not. Um, but it came to mind because um, last week we started talking about the two travelers on Resurrection Day who were followers of Christ. They weren't the original 12, but, but they were followers of Christ and, and they, were, they were filled with angst as they traveled from Jerusalem to Emmaus because they had lost their Lord. They had lost their best friend. They had lost Jesus to death. And they were struggling with trying to understand what it was and they were filled with angst. We started that last week, and, and my plan was to, to dig deeper into what that looked like. And this scripture kept coming to mind as I, as I was praying. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who labor and are heavy laden. Those who are, are struggling with life. Heavy laden mean you're burdened down by life. There's, there's a lot of angst emotionally and mentally, spiritually, physically. You're just, you're carrying this heavy load. And he says, and I will give you rest. Come to me. All who labor and are carrying heavy loads. And I will give, well, and I will give you rest. How? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
So Jesus says, if you are having angst, if you're having this heavy burden, if you're, if you're struggling with things in life, which you will, come to me and take my yoke upon you. And we're going we're gonna to look at the, the facets of that. But what he doesn't say is, I will, I will eliminate that burden. He says, come to me and take my yoke and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So the picture, here's a picture of oxen that are joined by a yoke and they're pulling a burden. The picture here in this scripture in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus gives us is of a young ox who would be put into the the yoke with an older ox. And he says, if you're trying to carry everything all by yourself, it's going to be heavy. If you're trying to do this all by yourself, but instead put your head into my yoke. And so the indication is Jesus is in the other side of the yoke. What happens is as we grow from little children who have no angst and we begin to take on angst, we think, and we're the only ones pulling the load. We, we don't have anybody in the other side of it. And Jesus says, instead of asking me to take your load, come to me and put your head in my yoke. And then I will carry the heavy load. Because when an oxen was being trained, a young oxen, it would be yoked with an older oxen who had been trained, who knew how to obey the master's voice who knew when to turn right, who knew when to stop, who knew how to... to but this young ox, if it, if it didn't follow the lead of the older ox, it would be pulling against the yoke and it would be, it would be uh, straining when it didn't need to strain. And it would be trying to do things that it shouldn't be trying to do. And Jesus says, if you'll put your head in the yoke with me, and if you will follow my... We call it nudges. If you'll follow my nudges then it, the, the yoke won't chaff your neck. And you won't be you're hurting yourself by trying to pull when you're supposed to stop or stop when you're trying to pull. St put your head in yoke with me and walk with me. And in that way, your load will be lighter. Because Jesus says, when you're walking with me, my load compared to what you will experience on your own, my burden is light. It's still a burden there. You're still working and you're still walking with Jesus. But the angst is taken over by the Lord. And so as we pick up the account, I want you to keep this picture in mind as we pick up the account in Luke chapter 24. So open your Bible there to Luke chapter 24. And I want to go deeper into what we talked about last week. This is resur still Resurrection Day. These two people are traveling from Jerusalem where all of the, all, the, all has happened. This, this is immediately following the account of the women at the tomb and then the two disciples running to the tomb. And then we pick up an account of two other Christ followers who are walking along, talking, and then Jesus shows up. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Well, he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We're in... So last week we started a series on relational conversation and how this is a picture of how Jesus relates to us. And and we covered the first three truths that or lessons or insights that I I noticed in in this passage of Scripture. But this week, I, I just sense God taking me back to the same three again in a different way. The first is as life goes on, Jesus is near. As life goes on, Jesus is near. Angst is not ours to carry alone. We go back to the picture of the oxen. When, uh, when uh, life happens, Jesus is near. As life goes on, Jesus is near. Even when we don't realize it, as life goes on, Jesus is near. Look at verse 13 again. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Life had been turned on its head for these two. They were followers of Jesus. 
They had, by their own words, they had, they believed that he was the Christ. He, they were the one that they had hoped for. He was mighty indeed, and he, and he was respected by, they believed that he was the one. And now they had, 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 at least from a distance, watched him die and be buried. And now they're confused because the women come back with the story that his body is gone and, and he's supposedly alive, but that makes no sense. And, and so as they're walking along, they're, they're going and, and, and their, their world had ter- been turned on its ear and they didn't know what to do. And in those moments, they were carrying the whole load. They were carrying the angst of the loss of their Lord. And last week, as we were going through this, I said, you know, stuff happens in life. There are children born, there are people who die, there are weddings, there are graduations, there's sadness, there's sickness, there's all kinds of stuff. Little did we know that EJ had already passed. And life continues to go on. But Jesus is near. These two walking on this Emmaus road didn't even know Jesus was near. They were just talking among themselves, trying to figure it out. Didn't make sense. And so oftentimes when we experience trauma in our lives, it doesn't make sense. You can't rectify it. So so one of the thoughts as we were talking on Thursday evening and Friday and as a, a church family just kind of processing it is when you experience especially sudden things like this, you go, this doesn't make sense. This couldn't be. Why would, does God really know what he's doing? And, and you, you begin to ask all these questions. I, and I wish we had the account of what they were, because in, in the original language, talk, the, the words that are used, there's the throwing around back and forth. They're throwing words at each other as if they're arguing and <laughs> fussing with each other. Now, that doesn't happen with us when emotional things happen, does it? Crazy things go, because your, your emotions, your mind, everything gets, gets involved in it. Life doesn't stop when tragedy happens or when celebration happens. It continues on. But Jesus is near, if we let him be. I mean, he's near, but whether we experience that nearness depends on whether we're willing to put our head in that yoke with him. Or are we going to insist on trying to pull the load ourselves? As life goes on, now, now here's something that occurred to me this week. As life goes on, you don't have to do the next step well. You don't have to be full of faith. You just need to have a little bit of faith. You You don't need to be this strong oxen you just need to put your head in that yoke and let Jesus lead and just take the next step and just go forward. You just need to keep putting one step in front of the other. The key is to keep your head in the yoke with Jesus and take the next step. Follow his lead, follow his nudge, follow his direction. James chapter 4, verse 8, the first part of the verse says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just, that's all you have to do. Draw near to God, by, and then that scripture goes on by saying, you know, confess your sins, turn away from all the other stuff, and stick your head in the yoke with Jesus. Draw near to him, and he will be close. 
Number two, we talked about this word that I made up. God is the reacher. <laughs> Not Jack Reacher, by the way. I know some of you just immediately went to that. And some of you are going, who's Jack Reacher? Well, God is the one who reaches. God is the one who draws close. Look at verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So the picture, so the, the angst that they were feeling and the difficulty that they were struggling with was not theirs to carry alone. They, they were fussing with each other and, and discussing all these things. And it's as if Jesus had been traveling and he was walking faster than they were. And so suddenly he kind of comes up behind them and he, they, they just notice him. He's the one that's drawing near. He's the one that's appearing to them. He's the one. And so he is the reacher. Even in that Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me. And when we, it, our, our responsibility is to respond. He is the one that reaches to invite. He is always reaching towards us to invite. He cares about us and he doesn't want us to carry the angst alone. So he says, come to me and take my yoke upon you. That's, he's the one that reaches with the invitation and we accept the invitation to put our heads in that yoke. Angst was not theirs to carry alone. And so they were having some, I put some bullet points, I don't know what ND is, but. Not dumb. I don't know. <laughs> or you can make up whatever you want. I don't know what it's like. Okay, so I put some, uh, I added some <laughs> sub-points for you. Intense discussion. Put the next bullet point up. And they, so they're having this intense, intense discussion, trying to make sense of what was going on. Now, here's what we often try to do. Jesus says, come to me. But instead we go, well, I'll come to you when I figure it out. And so we find somebody else and we talk about it. And usually we try to find somebody who we know is going to agree with us, Right? <laughs> And validate what we're feeling and the anger and the angst that we have and all this. And so, do we have the bullet? <laughs> this is creating angst in me, Shannon. I mean, this is. <laughs> there we go. And so we fuss and, and we look to other people when what do we need? Jesus. We need to Jesus. We need Jesus. It didn't matter how long they walked down that road. If, if they passed the, the village of Emmaus and just kept walking on that road to the next day and the next day, it wouldn't matter how long they were on that road talking among themselves, they would never, ever figure it out. Amen. And you, you and I need to stop trying to figure things out on our own and go to Jesus and let him reveal and show us as, as he does with these two as they're walking along the road. As life and angst goes on, Jesus will reach even stronger toward you. Out of his love, out of his care, he, is, he wants you to come in. Put your head in this yoke with me so I can help you. I long. And so it's, it's, a light, it's like a little child who is playing and, and they can't figure it out. And then they throw their toys. And then you, you get down on the floor with them and you say, here, let me help you. 
And instead of allowing you to help them, they, they get mad and they stomp off. Now, we don't ever do that with God, do we? Yeah. And we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about God, God will work in your age. So just pay attention. When you're going through angst, he re, he's reaching. Pay attention. Watch. Listen. That's why going on our knees at the beginning of the day and surrendering our day to him and then watching for his nudges are so important because that's how he leads. That's how he leads. God is the one who reaches toward us. So these two are, are absorbed in their talk. And Jesus just kind of shows up and invites himself in. Did I miss? Oh, so uh, verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Not because they were just so overwhelmed with grief. Um, so the, the, the language that's used here indicates an outward force from God preventing them from seeing because they weren't ready for it. And we talked last week about um, that sometimes emotions get so high that if he revealed himself to them, they wouldn't hear what he had to say. They would just be too excited about him showing up. And so that brings us to the next bullet point. There we go. <laughs> sometimes it is best that we don't understand. Sometimes it's best that we don't understand. Again, we're supposed to be little children. There are times when you don't explain, try to explain things to little children because it's best for them not to understand. It's best for them not to know. And God, in his love for us, knows that there are times when he can't reveal things to us for our own good. But here's what we know because we know God is love and we know God is all-powerful. He will do what is best for us every single time. And so if he's not telling us something, we know it's, he's doing what's best. may not be what we want, but it will be best. Verse 17. And he said to them, again, God is the reacher. He reaches, so he shows up and then he talks to them. He's the one that invites himself in. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? What are these words that you're throwing about with one another? What are you talking about? He's reaching to them. Now, is it because he didn't know? He knew, but he was reaching. Which brings us to number three. God uses angst. God uses Angst. And we talked about this a little bit, but I just felt like we needed to go a little bit deeper today. Their angst was not theirs to carry alone. And Jesus shows up. But Jesus allows the angst in order to bring them understanding and bring them to himself. Now, uh, we still have the responsibility to work alongside Jesus, Right? And so we're still going to have angst. We're going to still have the situation. We still have to go through the grief. We still have to go through the difficulty. We still have to, to obey him. We still, it's not as if Jesus says, well, just hop in the, in the cart behind and I'll pull the cart for you. But that's what we often want. 
So in verse 17, and they stood still looking sad. They stood still looking sad. They stood still looking sad. In that moment, Jesus could have taken away their sadness, but he didn't because God uses angst. Sadness is not, you might want to write this down. Sadness is not bad. It's hard. But it feels bad. I don't like to feel sad. I don't like to cry. I don't like Hallmark movies. (laughs) And one of the reasons I don't is because I don't like to feel other people's stuff. I got enough stuff of my own. Just blow some stuff up. That's, you know, that's, you know, that's, let's just go on an adventure. Let's, you know, let's, let's go conquer the world or something. But don't make me listen to this. People who, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm watching, I'm watching them. And so the counselor part of me kicks in and I'm going, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't believe that. Just go talk to each other. Go find your pastor and come together and talk it out. Don't go down that road. I don't like to feel sad. I want God to take the sad away. But he, instead, he wants to use it. Because the, the fact is, if we don't feel the sadness, if we don't feel the angst, then we're still like that little kid who thinks they can do it on their own. It's not until we recognize that we're, where we need God that we'll turn to God. So he left them in their sadness. And they stood there looking sad. Verse 18, and then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor? Listen, hear the angst and the frustration and the grief and all the stuff. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Why would you even ask such a question? We're coming from the disaster that happened. Why are you asking that question? Now, there are a lot of people who don't grasp what God with us meant when Jesus came. I don't think any of us can fully grasp it. But there there are a lot of people who still think God is distant. God is out there and 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 I hear sometimes I hear I, you know I'll say, "Well, hey, you know, you ought to pray about that." And 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 someone will say, "You know, God's got he's busy with a lot of people who have bigger problems than I do." So I, I don't want to bother him. They don't grasp it. No, God is near and he wants to help us carry our load. Come to me if you're heavy and burn. He longs to us. And again, it's like a, a parent or grandparent with a little child. We delight when that child can't figure something out and they get frustrated. We can sit down with them and show them and then they get a smile on their face as they, it begins to come together. And we share that together. And that's God. 
He loves it when we come to him. He loves it when he can help us and show us and, and lead us and guide us. He gets delight out of that. And so we need to understand that when Jesus came, he came and now, well, let's just look at the scripture. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 to 16. Turn, turn there in your Bible. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, one who is a go-between, between us and the Father, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If we, if we turn around and say positively, we have a high priest, we have Jesus, we have a Savior who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Why? We have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus came and lived in this human body and faced all the stuff that we face. The temptation, the struggles. When he stubbed his toe, he felt the pain. When, it, when his mom and his brothers wanted to cart him away because they thought he was crazy, he felt that because he was fully human. So we have, a, we have Jesus who, because he lived in this human body, knows what it's like. And he sympathizes. He empathizes with us. So the result is, verse 16, let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, favor, to help in time of need. We have, and so as Jesus is coming up behind those people and he, and he joins along with them and he begins to ask them what they're feeling, he's, he's saying to them, I'm coming alongside of you because I know what it feels like. I know what you're going through. And when you, when you are going through whatever you're going through, you have Jesus who has been in a human body and he understands. And so he left them in their sadness not because he didn't love them, but because he did. And sometimes he leaves us in our sadness. And as much as I don't like sadness and I don't like tears, what I've learned is the only way through grief, the only way through the, that stuff is to feel it. You bury it and you're just killing yourself. And you have to feel it. And so he left them in their sadness to go through their sadness so that he can bring them to their joy. And then flip back in your Bible to John chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 32 to 36. John 11, 32 to 36. This is um, toward the end of Jesus' ministry. And Lazarus, his friend, the brother of Mary and Martha, has died. Jesus waits, then rush to him while he's still sick. He could have healed him, but he didn't. And when he didn't, he allowed Mary and Martha to feel sad. He allowed them to feel the pain of losing their brother and the, not only losing their brother, but their support. 
because in that culture, you couldn't live by yourself. You couldn't own property. So they were going to lose everything. They, and they didn't know what their future was going to hold, where they were going to go. And so they lost their brother. And Jesus allowed it to happen. And, and so after a while, he goes back and he's, he's going to take care of business because he's on his mission from the Father. And he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But as he gets close to the city, Martha hears it and she rushes out to him and says, why didn't you come? If you'd have come sooner, you, you could have saved our brother. And then after he talks with Martha, Mary finds out. Mary comes and says this exact same words. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you take care of this? Why didn't you keep our brother alive? And so... Um, in verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I want you to see that again. When he saw her weeping and when he saw the Jews who had come with her also weeping, it was their weeping that caused him to be deeply troubled and moved in his spirit. Because, notice this, he knew he was about to raise Lazarus. He was not feeling sad for Lazarus. He wasn't feeling sad that he'd lost a friend. The scripture clearly says, when he saw their weeping, his heart went out to them and he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we find the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he saw, he empathized. His heart went out to them. And he wept with them. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. They didn't get it. They didn't understand but how do you think Mary felt when she saw Jesus' tears? He feels like I feel. When you're going through difficult times, when you're going through struggles, when you're facing heart pain, you've got a Savior who knows and He feels along with you. And so when He saw those two sad, I can imagine His heart went out to them too. Because that's the God we serve. So he feels what we feel. And then the invitation is, put your head in the yoke with me and walk with me through this. And I will give you rest. I will heal your soul. I will walk you through the pain. I will walk you to, I will help you grieve. I will walk you through the difficulty. You see, time, time does not heal all wounds. You got it? That's what the world says. Time. You don't have to live very long to know that that isn't true. But God, over a period of time, will heal. There'll still be scars. There might be triggers. But God will walk you through every piece of it. Got it? You know, and no matter what you're going through, Jesus feels with you. Bullet point. Let's see how this one looks. 
<laughs> angst is a part of life. Angst is a part of life. It's, it's, it varies in intensity. It has a lot of different forms. But this, um, this, this worry, this angst, this torment, there are just things that come along in life that that's just a part of it because we are in an upside down world. We're not home yet. We're not in heaven yet. There won't be any angst in heaven. But we're not in heaven. We're experiencing the results of sin. We want, and, and so our response when we're in angst, we want God to remove it, right? That, that's our first prayer. God, take it away. If, if you know, if, we, if, if I'm sick, I want God to take it away. I don't want to have to go through it. If I'm hurting, I want God to take it away. My, my initial reaction is I want God to take it away. That's our that's just human nature. We want God to take it away. And Jesus knows that. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, says Jesus is in Gethsemane facing crucifixion. Here's what, he, here's what he prayed. Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Jesus understands. He says, I understand what it feels like to not want to go through, not want to feel what I'm feeling, experience what I'm experiencing, uh, having the pain that I have. He knows that. And that's our natural human reaction. But we need to move past that to the right side up response that Jesus includes yet. And so it's okay, God, I don't want to go through this. Please deliver me from this. I don't want this. Take it away. But not what I want. What you want, what you know is best. And what I know in confidence that you will do what is best. Instead, God will trump angst rather than remove it. He will trump it. There, angst is a part of life. And so this tendency to worry, this tendency to have this, this anxiety will be there. And we want God to remove that. Instead, he will trumpet. And so two scriptures in John chapter 14, verse 27. Here's what he says I will do with that angst. As you stick your head in that other side of the yoke, here's what I'll do. Peace I leave with you. My peace. My peace. Jesus' peace. Not the kind of peace that we have in the world, he says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. What the world does is cause, cause a lack of conflict peace. That's not peace. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Instead, put your head in this yoke with me, and I will trump the fear. I will trump the anxiety. I will trump all the troubles that you have with my peace. What kind of peace? Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious, worried about anything. Don't have angst. Don't be angst. Don't, don't let angst control you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, which is really a description of relational conversation, in everything, with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which means it doesn't make any sense. You can't comprehend it with your mind will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He trumps anxiety with peace. 
The situation may not change, but his peace will be bigger than that which is trying to get you to worry. Another translation says transcends all understanding. It goes past all understanding. It's, it's baffling because we don't think angst and peace can coexist. But in reality, that stuff that is causing the angst, that stuff that's causing the worry can still be in our lives. But his peace that comes through his presence as we put our head in the yoke with him and allow him to be in charge. And so God uses angst to get our attention. That's why he doesn't take, that's one of the reasons he doesn't take it away. Angst gets our attention. So that little child playing on the floor, when he's frustrated, eventually, or, you know, just depends on what the child's thinking, Daddy, can you help? Grandpa, can you help? Mama, can you help? The angst, the frustration causes him, causes, uh, gets our attention. And then God uses that angst to get us close to us. Get, get close to us and lead, let him lead us to himself. Back in Luke 24, and they stood still looking sad. And one of them said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said, what things? What things? You see, their angst caused them to explain, here's what we're dealing with. And then he asked the next question. And next week we will, if it's God's will, <laughs> we, will we will see what happens next as they move closer to him. Grief and astonishment. Jesus, you see, Jesus stood with Martha and Mary and the original 12, and Pharisees, and townspeople, and relatives, as they were weeping. And he wept. Because he loves you so much. And over and over, what we hear is in his invitation is really him saying, put your head in the yoke with me, and I'll give you rest. Because my burden is light compared to what you're trying to do by yourself. My burden is light. And this yoke will be easy compared to trying to do it on your own. Would you bow your heads? What was it that caught your heart today? What jumped out at you? What did the Holy Spirit identify and, and resonate with your soul? Why did it jump out? What's the Holy Spirit trying to identify? And what does he, and what does he want you to do with it? How does he want to lead you? How do you need to put your head in that yoke a little bit more. Let him lead. Let him carry the load, the heaviest part of the load with you. Let him guide you to truth and understanding and, and, 
empathize with you, to soothe your heart and inform your mind and resonate in your soul. One of my favorite parts that we haven't even gotten to yet was when it says afterwards, when they knew that it was Jesus, didn't our hearts burn within us? When the Holy Spirit shows up, it resonates with a deep pleasure. So what do you need to do this week? To let him help you carry your load. Lord, thank you for the truth that you've given to us. Thank you for this incident that you made sure was in the Bible. And all that we're learning from it and recognizing. I pray for each person that you would continue to lead them to deeper understanding, deeper relationship with you, deeper intimacy and alignment that will cause their hearts to burn within them as they experience your presence. Lord, walk us through this week and step with you. Help us to lean into you and help us to be, be the church, your hands and your feet, to EJ's family and friends and to one another. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful, so very grateful for who you are and what you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.